Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. All right, good morning. We're going to continue with our series, Unlikely Heroes. The Bible is full of heroes you know about, but there's also a lot of people that flew under the radar that God greatly used, like most of us, people that just fly under the radar that God uses. So we're going to be talking about that in our series, which will take us through the fall, and then uh, Pastor Phil will be taking us elsewhere when we get into uh, January. If we could all stand, please, as we read God's Word together. We'll be in Acts 10. You can turn there in your Bibles, your paper copy or your electronic copy to Acts 10. All right, we all there? Acts 10? Great. Let's read it together. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa. Bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, He sent them to Joppa. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Acts 10, definitely one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And I'm sure every preacher that gets up to preach is always preaching for the most important chapter in the Bible. It's whatever he's preaching on. But genuinely, Acts 10 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Definitely relating to us in the church and what we now know to be the church, Acts 10 is a very pivotal chapter for us. Uh, Why is that? Well, I think for us to really fully understand Acts 10, you got to go back in your Bible. I'll just, you don't have to go there right now, but Matthew chapter 16, you have a very important chapter happening there in Matthew 16, where Uh, In the book of Matthew there, where Jesus is taking his disciples on an extended trip away from all the crowds and into Gentile territory, he asks his disciples a very important question. Who do men say that I am? And they give it all these different answers, Elijah, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? Of the people that were there, and it was probably more than just the 12, it was probably a few other disciples also, one dude stands up. And that dude was Peter. And Peter gave a very clear declaration that really is the basis of what we now know to be our Christology now for over 2,000 years. Where Peter clearly said, you are the Christ, 
the Messiah, the Son of God. You're more than just Elijah. You're more than just a prophet. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And it was such a clear, powerful declaration that in that moment, in God's sovereignty, God said to Peter, Peter, you're correct. And Peter, on this rock of what you just said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. And Peter, not only that, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven with the power to, to loose and chain based on this confession you've given. Now that phrase, the keys of the kingdom, has sparked a lot of controversy, not just with Protestants, but also with Catholics. The keys of the kingdom, and you know, people have erroneously made up this concept of Peter standing at the gates of heaven and he's got the keys and he's letting people in and out. That is not what Jesus was talking about at all. Jesus was very clearly telling Peter, Peter, I'm giving you the keys and the opportunity to open up this gospel of the kingdom. And with these keys of the opening of the gospel of the kingdom, Peter, I'm going to powerfully use you. I'm going to use you in ways that you could never imagine. I'm giving you those keys of opening up those doors of the gospel. You know, the book of Acts really is a commentary on those keys. It really is. And I think if you were to look at the book of Acts, you could say there were probably three keys that Jesus gave to Peter. One being the key to open up the door to the gospel to the Gentiles. You see that in Acts 2. That's when the gospel was clearly shared, uh, shared with the Jews, I'm sorry, Jews in Acts, in Acts 2, clearly shared with the Jews in Acts 2 at Pentecost, a Jewish crowd in Acts 2, and there's one guy that's preaching that message, Peter. I think you could argue that the second key that Jesus gave to Peter was the key to the Samaritans, which you see that in Acts 8. In Acts 8, you see Peter proclaiming the gospel message in multiple Samaritan cities, I think the third key that you could argue that Jesus gave to Peter was the key to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's Acts 10. Three keys, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, Acts 10. And that key of giving the gospel to the Gentiles, opening the door of the gospel to the Gentiles was such a critical moment in church history because it made it so clear that the gospel wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for anyone who would call on the Lord to be saved. And that's what you see the remainder of the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, you see Jesus telling his disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. Again, three keys. Three keys. That's why Acts 10 is such a critical pivotal chapter in the Bible and in our Christian faith. There's a lot of details, a lot of moving parts in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we don't have time to go through the entire chapter, so I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of what's happening in Acts 10. So in Acts 10, which we are just reading, Cornelius, a devout guy, is praying, and he receives a vision to call for Peter, who is in Joppa, all right? So the next day... 
Peter is praying and receives a vision from God, instructing him to be accepting of all things and all nationalities that God calls clean. He has this vision, all these animals that are unclean or Jewishly unclean are let down in this sheet, in this vision that Peter has. And, and the Lord says to Peter, hey, look, Peter, kill, eat, have some lunch. Not so, Lord, the things that, uh, I will never eat the things that are unclean. And God says, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. This set up the message going to the Gentiles, which is what, what you see in the duration of Acts chapter 10. Interesting side note. Okay, for all of you that are interested in a little bit of Bible, Bible trivia. Right here, Peter, the, the, the accent is very clear. Peter is in a particular town called Joppa. Now, there was another famous Old Testament prophet who also was in Joppa, running from the Lord, who was told, go preach to the Gentiles. And he said, no, that was Jonah. Jonah, told to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he says, no. Here's Peter in Joppa. Peter, go preach to the Gentiles. And he's got a choice. Thankfully, for our sake, Peter chooses well. And so Peter, people come to the door from Cornelius' house. They knock on the door. Peter goes to Cornelius' home. He realizes that he is there not just to meet Cornelius. When he meets Cornelius, Cornelius falls down. He tells Cornelius, hey, Cornelius, I'm a guy just like you. Please get up. Um, Cornelius, why am I here? And Cornelius says, well, I, I got this vision that I needed to send for you. And I'm sure in that moment, Peter thought, okay, I'm just going to have this conversation with this Roman centurion and go back to my life. But when, when Cornelius, Acts 10 says, brings him into the house... There are multitudes of people in there. Like, I don't know how many, but I think you could safely say dozens. Dozens of people in there. Peter knows, being a good Jew, I'm not even supposed to be in this house. Let alone having these conversations, but God brought me here. And in those moments, Peter does what he does best. He shares the gospel. He shares the gospel. He talks about the fact that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died for their sins, and rose again. Interesting that in the moments where those people in Cornelius' house believe the message that Peter is saying and put their trust in Christ, something miraculous happens. A manifestation that what was happening here was the real deal. It authenticated the message of Peter, and they all started to speak in tongues. Probably a little bit for the people that just got saved because now they're speaking in tongues and something miraculous is happening. But Peter is there with six other guys. He's there with six other men that he brought with him. And those six men who likely were leaders in the Jewish church, they saw this. And later in Acts 11, it says that the testimony was this. What happened to these Gentiles was the same thing that happened to us at Pentecost. It was the same thing. What happened to us Jews happened to these Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was poured out, out on them, and there's no reason to accept them fully into God's program of the church. They trust Christ. 
Peter says, okay, now that you've trusted Christ, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, now you're gonna be baptized by water. In the New Testament, those two things always go hand in hand. Whenever you trust Christ and you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, which happens to every person that trusts Christ, you then have to be baptized by water. Interesting, 10 years took place from Acts 2 to Acts 10. 10 years, a whole decade. And that progression of the Jews coming to Christ and the gospel going to the Samaritans, 10 years. But we can't overstate the importance of this event in what we now know to be the church. All right, stay with me here. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, we as the Gentile church, as we know it today, would not have happened. Humanly speaking, would not have happened without this event in Acts 10. Us congregating the way that we are, worshiping Jehovah God, without hindrance, without having to do any sacrifices, without having to be circumcised, without having to do any of these laws and rituals, the fact that we can just show up and worship God is because of what happened in Acts 10. Really is important. Really is important. It laid the groundwork for Gentiles not needing to observe the same rituals the Jews. It put the Gentiles on equal footing with the covenantal Jew. It was theologically and practically speaking cataclysmic. And right in the middle of all this theology and, and gospel-changing events, right in the middle of all this is this Roman centurion. This one guy who just showed up one day praying. And God said to Cornelius, today's the day that I'm going to use you to change the course of human history. Wow. Pretty huge. God used Cornelius in a powerful way to make his plan for Gentile inclusion complete. And on that day, God called him, and very importantly, Cornelius was ready. He was ready to be used of God. He was ready to be used of God. And I would submit to you, we don't know what God is going to do or need you to do today. We don't know what God is going to need you to do tomorrow. We don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what new events could transpire in your life. We don't know what people God could bring in your path. We don't know what God may want to do in your life today or tomorrow. And so therefore, we should be what? Ready. Ready. And I want to point out some things that Cornelius did or were characteristics of his life that help us to understand what you need to do to be ready to be used of God. Number one, you live by your spiritual priorities. If you're taking notes in your teaching guide, go ahead and write that down, jot that down. Um, you live by your spiritual priorities. Where do we see that? Look back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. What does Luke say about this guy? He says this. Luke says, he was a devout man. He feared God and all his household. He gave alms or gave charitably, generously to the people. And some translations, some of your Bibles might say to the Jewish people. Some of your translations might say that. To the people. 
and he prayed continually to God. So Cornelius was a good man, a good man who was a God-fearer. Interesting that term God-fearer. Luke uses that term throughout his epistles uh, to talk about a Gentile who followed Jehovah God, a Gentile who followed Jehovah God, but was not fully Jewish in all the ceremonies. Jews would have, would have considered Cornelius a second-class follower of God, but all that was about to change. In Cornelius' life, they were spiritual priorities. When you look at some of these things that Luke says identified Cornelius, his relationship with God wasn't just a passing hobby. He was serious about his relationship with the Lord. And it impacted all these areas of his life. Like, he had a household of faith. Interesting that it says specifically, he feared God and all his household. In other words, this wasn't just something that was just for Cornelius. He wanted his family. He wanted his kids. He probably wanted the servants that were living with him in the house to know that he was a God follower. Not only that, he gave. And he's a Roman centurion. Maybe he's doing well financially. And he wanted to give. And in that community of Caesarea, he was a giver. And he probably loved to do it. In a lot of ways, you can tell probably a lot about someone by how they manage their money. Third, this guy was a, was a prayer warrior. And he prayed. What does Luke say about Cornelius? He prayed continually to God. Now, he's a Roman centurion. He doesn't have time when he's on the battlefield to be on his knees and always be in prayer to God. I don't think that's really what Luke is saying here, that 24-7 he was praying. It meant... The prayer was not something that he just did when he was panicked, like Pastor Phil often says, it was a pattern of prayer in his life. A pattern of prayer. He was a praying man, which really meant he was humble. He recognized that he needed God in his life. So Luke's initial assessment of this man, in a nutshell, is that his spiritual life and the outpouring of his spiritual life, that his relationship with God were the greatest priorities of his life. You know what? We are called to live prioritized spiritual lives. Are we not as disciples of Christ? We are called to live prioritized spiritual lives. Where we focus our lives to exalt Christ with what he's called me to do. Where the focus and the passion of your life is to exalt Christ with everything you're doing. Now, does that mean if Christ is the greatest passion of your life that you got to leave right now and run to Zimbabwe and be a missionary? No. Maybe, unless he's calling you to do it, then you should. It doesn't necessarily mean that to live this spiritual life, you have to be a pastor or a missionary. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It means where God has you, you live a spiritually prioritized life. Where God has you right now, you prioritize God and what you're doing. Where did God have Cornelius? Caesarea. Port town on the Mediterranean. Probably lots of action going on in that port town. And what did God have Cornelius doing? He's a soldier. He's in the military. He's a centurion. And in that place, with that occupation, God positioned Cornelius to change his world for Christ. In that place, with that occupation, God positioned Cornelius to change his world for Christ. 
much like us. You know, it is amazing how God can take so much of what you've got and use it. <laughs> like just simple little things and use it. Think of a Bible story where God took something that was kind of silly and used it. I think of Exodus 4, where God told Moses, okay, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt, and I'm going to do it miraculously and powerfully, but Moses, you're going to do it. And Moses is like, ah, <laughs> I'm not your guy, God. I'm not your guy. Go find someone else. Go find Aaron. Go find someone else. I'm not your guy. I got nothing to use, Lord. I can't speak. I can't talk. I got no vision. I'm not a natural leader. I can't do it. I'm not your guy, God. And God stops him in his tracks. And what does he say to Moses? Moses, what's in your hand? Right? What's in your hand? Moses being a shepherd, what's he say? Uh, a stick. A stick. God, that's all I got. <laughs> God, you want to use me? You're going to have to use this little piece of wood. God says, throw it to the ground. Throws it to the ground, becomes a snake. Exodus 4 says, Moses runs away in that moment. <laughs> he runs. He runs away from the snake. And then God probably says, Moses, come back, pick it up, picks it up, becomes a rod again. What's in your hand? What is in your hand that God wants to use? Right now, where God has you and the place that he has you, what's in your hands? What's in your hand right now might be this. A basketball. What's in your hand? Use it for God's glory. What's in your hand? It could be a hammer. Every day, you might be using a hammer. You can use that hammer for God's glory, can you not? Absolutely. What's in your hand? It could be a stethoscope. Every day you might be serving people in and out and God has this stethoscope around your neck and you're listening to people and all the things that are going on. What's in your hand? Use it for God's glory. What's in your hand? It could be a computer keyboard. Use it for God's glory. What's in your hand? It could be a spatula. Use it for God's glory. What's in your hand? It could be an apron. This is my apron, by the way. Use it when I cook burgers. What's in your hand? Use it for God's glory. In all these things, God wants to take simple little things. Where God has you right now, no matter what it is, and use it for his glory. And use it for his glory. Man, that Roman centurion, when he woke up that day, he had no clue how God was going to use him and his influence in the Roman military to change his world for Christ. You want to be used by God? You got to live by your spiritual priorities. You want to be used by God? You're eager to hear and do the word. Okay, this is similar to spiritual priorities, but it's such an important part of what made Cornelius Cornelius. I want us to dive a little deeper here. Cornelius, after he gets the vision, is sending for Peter with no delay. Look at verse 8, Acts 10, 8. And having related everything, let's take it verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, what does he do? Sit back and watch Monday Night Football. Nope. What's he do? He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he waited a few weeks to figure out what the plan was. Nope. I'm going to obey the voice of God 
right now. No delay. Right now. Later, when Peter comes, look at Acts 10, verse 33. Acts 10, 33, and you'll actually see it there on the screen. Cornelius says to Peter, now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God. So you're talking dozens of people that are right there, all these Gentiles that are eager to hear this message from Peter. We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Insinuating, we don't just want to hear it, but whatever it is you're about to tell us to do, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. He's hearing the word, but he's doing the word. He's hearing the word, but he's doing the word. Can I give you a little inside scoop on the Christians in the church that are really growing? The Christians in the church that are really growing are the ones that are hearing the word and doing it. Hearing and doing. Sometimes it seems like it's the same thing, hearing and doing. But man, oftentimes they are miles apart. When I was doing some study this week on hearing and doing, I read this parable from the Lord that just now takes on such a deeper meaning for me. Look at the screen. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Then everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he's a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house. It fell, and great was the fall of it. What does Jesus specifically say here? Jesus says the wise man is a hearer or doer, or the wise woman is a hearer and a doer. He's saying the foolish man only hears. This is convicting for me. Because man, in my profession, I hear a lot of good stuff about God and his word. And I gotta be doing it. Can't just hear it. I got to do it. Now, I've been like doing some workouts recently. And um, got these dumbbells up here. And um, for illustrative purposes. And um, I don't really know how to really do a dumbbell curl, a bicep curl. I don't really know. Um, is there someone in here that could maybe help me with this? Uh, Tim Sloan, are you in here? Oh, Tim, yeah. Tim, didn't know you were here this morning. Thanks for coming, brother. Um, Tim, could you come on up here and help me with the... Um... <laughs> Scott, here's what you want to do. Uh, okay. Feet shoulder width apart. Uh, all right, yeah. Slide in the knees. You, can you hold one of these for oh, me? Oh, sure. Is it kind yeah. of heavy? It is a little heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So palms away. Yeah, all right. Bend at the elbow. Yeah, yeah. With your bicep. Okay. Whoa, dude. You got, uh, you got some veins going on there. Can you, can you show me that again? Just for church. Can you show me that again? Wow. Dude, dude, I, I, I feel stronger just watching you do this. That's, that's, that's great. You actually have to do it. 
No, no, no. I just do one more for me. I just I can feel something happening here. But you have to actually do it. Uh, I, I t- tell you what. I got this great fitness magazine right here um, that 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 says how to do a dumbbell curl. Can you just do that one more time? You actually have to do it. Yeah, but, but I'm reading. I'm reading how to do it, and it's this is great. This is like this is awesome. Like lift it up, feet shoulder width apart. Wear a cut off shirt. It's all right here, man. It's all. It's all right here. Yeah, but you have to do it. I, I tell you what, I tell you what. Um, I got this great podcast on bicep curls. Hold up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, lifted. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I, I feel, I feel more session. buff. Um, Am I still going to get paid for this session? No, no, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you actually have to do the curl. Oh. Well, I don't know that I want to do that. Be no sleeveless shirt. Oh, all right. So you're saying I will eventually get a sleeveless shirt? Only if you do the curl. Only if I do the curl. All right, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it, man. Oh, man. It's... All right, so. So, if I said to you, yeah, I'm, I'm heading to Planet Fitness to do a workout, and man, I, I just walk around, you'd say, uh, that's not working out, right? All right, about to step on some toes here. Sitting here in church with Pastor Phil, sharing the word every Sunday, and a half an hour later, you can't remember a lot of what he said. That's you. And that's me. Watching sermons Reading things, listening to things is deceptive because it gives the impression that I'm doing spiritual things. You're not. You're not. And it can be very deceptive. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I go to this study. But during the week, you live however you want. Here's what you got to do. You got to treat Sunday morning like the locker room. You got to treat Sunday morning like the locker room. And the guy that's up here teaching is like the head coach. And the head coach is going through kind of like the plays that we're going to work through during this week. And he's talking through all the different things we're going to do. And when this happens, we're going to do this. And, and when this happens, we're going to, we're going to go this direction. And, and if we do this, we will have success. You got to think of the person that's up here like the locker room coach. And then he sends them out to do it. Now, can you imagine if all those guys ran out of the tunnel and ran into the stands? They'd be like, no, no, on the field, on the field, right? Yet oftentimes we run out of this tunnel we get on the stands. During the week is when we put into action. We put the plays into action. We live out what's being taught to us and told to us. We live it out. We come back the next week for more direction, for more instruction. Where we aren't just hearing, we're doing. So when Pastor Phil says, pull out your teaching guide, jot down some thoughts, you're jotting down the plays. 
You're jotting down action steps. You're like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. When you open the word for your daily quiet time, you're thinking through, okay, here's some action steps. Here's some things I got to apply today to my life. One of the greatest things you can do is have accountability with other guys or other women in your life to say, hey, are you running the plays in your life? If not, let me help you. Man, I'm so thankful for the guys in my D group that asked me even this weekend, hey, Scott, are you running the plays in your life? The things you said you were going to do. We need to be hearers and doers. So we're taking sermon notes. We're reading the word and applying it. We're getting accountability in the things we need to be doing. Cornelius was ready to be used of God. How so? He lived by his spiritual priorities. He was eager to hear and do the word. But check this out. Cornelius is willing to be culturally different. He was willing to be culturally different. I mean, Luke lays it out so clearly who this guy Cornelius was in 10.1, Acts 10.1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This was such a unique scenario for Cornelius. He's an officer in the Roman army, the army that is currently occupying the nation of Israel. And he's not your average religious Roman, where your average religious Roman is a polytheist, where your average religious Roman believes in multiple gods that can do multiple things for you. This man living in Caesarea, who was a devout follower of God, rejected polytheism, embraced monotheism, the worship of one God, and in a polytheistic culture like ours, monotheism really stands out. Really stands out. In fact, I think many Christians struggle with polytheism, the worship of multiple gods. And because of that, they don't really stand out. Monotheism, I have one source of worship in my life. Monotheism always stands out in a polytheistic culture. And he stood out. I mean, just think about it. He's in the Roman army of the occupying army of the nation of Israel. He's an officer in that army. And he is saying, I know what the cultural pressures are. And I'm intentionally saying, I'm going to stand differently. And he did. And he was ready to be used by God. Great example for us. That's how we should be in our culture. We should be in the world, not of the world. We're called to be out of the, we're not called to be out of the world. We're called to be in the world, but not adopting the philosophy of the world. What does that mean? It means that as we're rubbing shoulders with the people of this world, we're making connections. We're making a difference on them, not vice versa. You can't not live in this culture. You know, sometimes some Christians over the years have taken on this hermit mentality where they're just going to kind of live in their house and live in a bunker and and just wait for the rapture to happen. And that is not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is, no, I'm out. I'm out in the culture. I'm out in the marketplace. I'm rubbing shoulders with people that do not believe what I believe all the time. That is New Testament Christianity. That's how God wants us to live. You know, Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 5. When Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 5 about, hey, you can't remove yourself from the planet. 
You can't take yourself out of this world. You might have to have some separation with people that think they're believers, but live however they want. You might have to have some separation with them, 1 Corinthians 5. But when it comes to the culture, you can't dismiss yourself from the culture. You have to engage with the culture. And as you're influencing the culture and making a difference for Christ, the question is, who is influencing whom? So students that are at Kingsway and Clearview, students that are at Rowan, who is influencing whom? When you're ready to be used of God, you live by your spiritual priorities. You're eager to hear and do the word. You're willing to be culturally different. Check this out. Your relational bridges are intact. Acts 10, Acts 10, verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright. These are the men that are uh, talking to Peter. Uh, when they come to Peter's house and ask Peter to come with them, these men say to him, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear um, what you have to say. Interesting, when Cornelius calls all his friends and family to come hear the message of Peter. You know what they did? They came. They came. Why? He was well-respected. Can I say this bluntly? They came because leading up to this event, Cornelius was not a jerk. You ever met a Christian jerk? Man, I've been a Christian jerk. Sad to say at times. Likely Cornelius was not griping and complaining about everything in his life. Likely Cornelius wasn't always looking at the negative side of situations. And people around him noticed. The text says that he's well spoken of by the Jewish nation. Well spoken of. An upright man. You know, how we act in the world makes an impact on the world. Paul said this to the Colossians. He said this in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you can answer. You know how to answer everyone. Notice that in the text? Let your conversation be always full of complaining, arguing, griping about the current state in the world today, complaining about the government, complaining about all the things you can complain about, just complaining, 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 complaining. No, let your conversation be full of grace when you're talking with unbelievers. Not condemning, not throwing every little person under the bus you can think of. Good, wise, gracious words. A nice person. Go figure. Nice. Don't live your life in such a way so that when the time comes to share the gospel, people are confused that you were a Christian. And maybe you got to go back to some people at work, make some apologies. Now, when you live for Christ, 
people get turned off. And when you really take a stand for Christ, sometimes people walk away. Jesus was very clear about that. He was very clear about that with his disciples. The people will walk away from you when you take a stand for me. But that's because you were living your life in such a way that you are passionate about Christ and you're talking about Christ and you're talking about the Savior who saved you from your sins and they're walking away. That's different from they're walking away because we're being a jerk. Very different. Very different. So, this week, God could bring circumstances into your life where he has a specific assignment for you that he wants you to accomplish. Are you ready to be used of God? Live by your spiritual priorities. Put into practice the things that we were just talking about today. Be willing to be culturally different. Don't burn your relational bridges because you're a jerk. In a lot of those situations, God can use you like he did Cornelius. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for giving us examples in the Bible of just really average people, just a regular guy that was willing to be used. Lord, we're all just regular people. I pray, Father, that we would be willing to be used. Lord, I think of the impact of this congregation and all the thousands and thousands of people that our spheres of influence rub up against every week. Lord, would we be willing to be used of you and, and do the necessary things, Lord, in order to be used? Help us, Lord, to humble our hearts, to be obedient to your word, and to put it into action. I pray this in Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.